All right, we are on page 18 and 19 in our text. If people would like to hear a Vietnamese translation, uh, we're having a simultaneous translation up in the balcony. You're welcome to sit up above if you'd like. And if you're hearing another voice while I talk, that's our Vietnamese translator compassionately uh, putting what I say into Vietnamese so that folks who are still learning their English uh, can, can both hear my English and the Vietnamese and make it make the connections, and uh, ideally, someday, we hope to have a simultaneous Mandarin translator. We used to, I used to do, you all maybe don't know if you haven't been around for the last 15 years, that for years here, probably half, maybe eight years, we, I did everything in two languages. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that was our teacher's way of doing it. That was Master Xuanhua's everything should be bilingual sometimes trilingual and everywhere else I go I do two languages I do a little bit of English a little bit of Chinese a little bit of English a little bit of Chinese and try hard to, to match the two but here at Berkeley because the, the people who really really needed to hear Mandarin got fewer and fewer um, so I, every time I would go from Speaking English, when I started moving to Chinese, I saw most of the audience make that shift behind their eyes where they go and they tune out. You know, it's like, like that. You realize they're thinking about other things. They're thinking about, is he done yet? And uh, let's see. I think I remember to lock my car. Uh, Am I in the gray zone? No, it's Saturday. It's okay. You know, I'm not going to get a ticket. You know, and then, then I would say, okay, we're back. And then to go, click, focus, click, 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 blink. Okay, we're back. You know, and on one hand, did you all see the study uh, released last week again that said the best testimony to keeping you free of Alzheimer's is to learn a second language? You all see that one? You all, you all saw that one, right? Right? No. Nope. Okay. Let me tell you. Uh, that that is the case, they say, that uh, the best way to keep your brain and your your whole uh, circuitry from that kind of shrinking that leads to Alzheimer's, you've seen the pictures of Alzheimer's patients, if their brain is like a stalk of broccoli, you know how broccoli has all the the little green green noodles out there? It's like it's dry. And the, the, the... that the living brain tissues are not actively going out anymore. They're kind of pulling back. And if you speak a second language, you keep stuff pumping through those cells. So, not to say that speaking two languages here is going to keep you all from Alzheimer's, but it might. You never know. Is listening the same as speaking? Well, maybe only if you pay attention. So if I don't get Alzheimer's, but you all do, then that's not, the, that's not as good. So uh, anyway, I looked at that experience, and I said, maybe Berkeley could be a place where we do English. Because for me, 
It's really different. It's a very different experience sitting here in one language, speaking in one language, because I develop my thoughts differently. When it's two, first of all, strange to say, I work twice as hard, even though I'm saying half as much. To make that shift is, and think about what was it that I said that I need to cover, don't forget that bit. Um, Plus just the translating, making it work. My Chinese is really inferior uh, to my English by far, by far. And yet you all, the Chinese speakers, were always so gracious. They were willing to accommodate my clunky, funky Mandarin. And they would kind of adapt. And, well, that's the way Fosher says it. Well, we know what he really means, you know, kind of thing. So that was the experience. And when you translate all the time, you think in your ideas come out shorter. They come out in, in shorter bursts, and that's a good thing. And for the Dharma, it's really important, I think, that we, they say, drink the water, remember the source. You re- recall the fact that our Dharma came through China, and the Chinese got it from India, so et cetera. So we made the decision at one point boldly to make this an English language lecture, and that's why you all have kind of, the new folks think that's the way it's always been, not. For years, we did, I did two languages, and we have had different Vietnamese translators come and provide a Vietnamese translation, which is terrific because it allows people who otherwise would not know uh, most of what I'm saying that allows them to catch the, the real heart of, of the Dharma. And uh, so the translators are... I think there is great blessings for translators, of my feeling, because personally being a translator and liking that idea, um, I think it's true that when you, just by taking the trouble to switch from one to the other, you open up the possibility of another consciousness, another living being, to hear what's being said, that's a good thing. That's very powerful. So I encourage all of you to become translators. If you all want supreme blessings through your mouth, if you make it possible for other people to understand, what is the retribution of that? Something quite wonderful, I'm sure. So please do consider uh, putting your time into learning a language well enough that you can shift in your brain back and forth and make it, make it come alive for other people. So we have a Vietnamese translation, and the main lecture is in English. Now, I know that some of the Lao Yo Mian Dharma friends who are here have been coming. Some of the old ladies come. They don't understand my English or my Chinese or the Vietnamese. They are sitting here patiently listening, listening listening, listening, and sitting in there patiently. And then in the car on the way home, they grab Pham and they grab Chi Miao and they say, what did he say? What did he say? Right? And you have to translate, well, the father said this, in the car on the way home to Oakland. you know. So, boy, that is real patience to listen, to sit in the whole lecture not knowing English or Chinese or Vietnamese and waiting for the translation. That, that's very touching when I see that. That's called sincerity. Very sincere people. So 
Don't assume that you're sitting here hearing English, that that's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like I kind of heard it. Not so easy if you don't speak the language. So appreciate the blessing of being able to hear the Dharma in whatever language you're ready to hear it in. So that's great. We are on page 18 and page 19, and we're on the third paragraph. Third paragraph, which if you count down, it's line 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Line 7 down, and it's Tan Yu is where we start. The offense of greed and desire. Okay, are we ready? Tan Yu Yi Ling Zhong Shang Duo San Udao Ruo Shang Ren Zhong De Er Zhong Guo Bao Ija Xin Bu Zhi Zu Erja Duo Yu Wu Yan Okay, over to the right. The offense of greed and desire. Also causes living beings to fall into the three evil paths. If they are born among people, they have two kinds of retribution. One, their minds will never know contentment. Two, they will have much desire, which will never be satisfied. Hey, there we go. Uh, Michael, could I ask you? So, this is, remember, we've going through the ten goods and the ten evils, and we have uh, body, mouth, and mind to work with. Grab a seat. You'll find uh, they're kind of interspersed. You have to jump over, folks. It's okay. Um, there's one in the front row. Don't be shy. We're going through body, mouth, and mind in our, in our text. And we've done three evil deeds with the body. We've done four evil deeds with the mouth. Now we're going to the mind. And these are three things that we do, you do, I do, people do, with our minds, that can give us big, big trouble. These uh, evil deeds with uh, the, the, ma- the mind are so uh, destructive to our well-being that they can take us out of the human realm. <clears throat> like we, we say uh, often, the background of this text is understanding that this body is not our only body, that we have been in other bodies in the past and we will fall into other bodies in the future. That's, that's the basis. And um, if, if that's a problem, if we don't make sense of that, then it's hard to proceed. That, and if you ask me to say, prove it, Okay, you say that, prove it. Well, reincarnation is hard to prove. Um, because why? When we die, 
all our senses go away. Your body goes away. How much of your memory is based on your body? Well, most of it. You have a sense memory of what it's like. Remember, if you burned your finger in matches or you cut yourself, when you see a match or a fire again or a knife, you pull back. You remember. That's a body memory. Um, You remember what it was like when you had your birthday party. Memory that. That was really happy. Everybody gave me nice things. Everybody was really happy. The cake was good. Somebody, uh, somebody got lost on the way home and was crying. I remember that. And, but they were, found their mom and they were happy. We remember what it's like. Remember what it's like to graduate. Remember what it's like to be in an auto accident, to be really scared at some point. We have these memories. Okay. Then when the body goes... You could say there's nothing left. In fact, that's not really true. There's karma left, but that's invisible. So karma is very hard to prove. Reincarnation is very hard to prove. You can't point to anything because we forget from womb to womb that we we forget that we have been in a body before. Um, So it's very hard to prove. If you say, okay, prove rebirth. Well, in China, in China, where Buddhism has been, for hundreds and hundreds of years, there are some monks who set out to prove it. And they, one of them was particularly Master Lian Shi, Lotus Pond, Lian Shi Dashi. He lived in the Ming Dynasty, about the 16th, 16th century. And Master Lian Shi really wanted people to believe in rebirth, in the idea that we come around again. So what he did was he uh, personally went out into the villages and into the cities, into the countryside, everywhere he could go, and ask people about stories. Plus, he had his disciples go out and listen carefully for stories. And he collected, collected many, many stories about rebirth, things that would prove that, as Master Hua said, our lives are like musical chairs. That it's like we're constantly, you know, musical chairs, the game where you play music and walk and walk, and then the music stops and you jump for a chair. And you sit in a different chair every time, and then you take one chair away, and there's one extra person. You know that game. You never know which chair you're going to wind up in. Master Xuanhua says rebirth is the same way. We don't know now what we'll be like after we die and come back. We forget now what it was like last time we were alive. Who says that this is true, that we actually do something jumps from one body to the next body to the next body? Who says? Well, the Hindus, Hinduism, that cluster of of beliefs that's called Hinduism, has been around for a very long time. It's one of the most ancient religions. Their texts, called the Vedas, the Upanishads, they go back a very long time. Those are some of the oldest written documents in the world. They say, we come back. The Buddha used his wisdom and looked around and said, yep, we come back. What you do now, like planting a seed, brings a fruit in the future. We come back. Okay, who else said we come back? Well, the Hebrew scriptures, the Bible, talked about reincarnation until 
a certain council. In the church history, they had meetings throughout big, all the, the church authorities would get together and say, this is correct, this is not correct. We're going to add this in the Bible, take that away. Reincarnation got cut. And they know what was in the Bible before. They, have, they still have pieces of it, but it got cut out. So in Judaism and Christianity, we don't talk about being reborn. Or do we? What do they say? They say, go to heaven. Sit at the right hand of God. That's rebirth. What do they say? Oh, you go to hell. Never come back. That's rebirth. So you can see it's a little, it's not so clear. If you ask most Christians, do you think that you've had past lives? Uh, Nope. The Bible doesn't say so. Well, it did at one point, but it got changed. So, okay. Here we are. Hard to prove. Master Lotus Pond went out and gathered stories. He would gather stories. For example, the kind of story that he would get, that he would say is proof of rebirth, he would get these stories from the villages. They would say, oh, Mm, last night, last night, old Mrs. Chang had a dream that uh, she saw uh, five little boys come into her dream. And the five little boys were very mischievous. And they just came and they were jumping around and playing. And she didn't think anything of it. But she woke up in the morning, and her dog had five puppies. <laughs> and the puppies were very filial to Mrs. Zhang. <laughs> and they was, she would say, oh, my goodness. And maybe, maybe the puppies were the boys that she saw in her dream. Oh, okay. So that's the kind of story he would get. Or... They would have a story where they would, he would collect a story where a man would say, <coughs> excuse me, he would say, uh, in a past life, he had the dream, in the past life, he said that he was indeed a pig. He believed that he was a pig, but he was a very virtuous, good pig who uh, served his master and very happily went off to die. And when he was born, and he was very delicious bacon, I'm sure, right? And then he was born again, and on his back, he had a strip of pig bristles on his back. And this young man would be born, and they would say, oh, look, you may have been, and he was a very virtuous son. So he would collect these stories. Please help yourselves to some of the cushions here. If you see, we're out of benches, but make yourself comfortable. So... We're getting off our topic here, but Master Lotus Pond would collect stories like that. And uh, people would hear these stories and go, wow, you either believe them or you don't believe them, right? So wise people, east and west, throughout history, have always said it's true, that we, this is not our only body. In fact, there we have been born in the past, we will come back again. All right, so like I say, hard to prove, really hard to prove. You kind of have to 
Take it on faith. That's the foundation of this text. If you don't accept that, then this is going to make a little less good sense to you, but you still can reserve your judgment, hold your judgment. You don't have to say, yes, it's true, no, it's not true. Just say, what can I learn from this, right? If, if we put ourselves in the position of, I have, to pro- I have to know for sure, I have to prove that this is true before I accept it, well, then it's really hard to grow. It's really hard to learn anything. If instead we say what? We say, I'll hold my judgment and see if I can't learn something. Right? Don't have to say yes or no, true or false. Just listen to it with a healthy skepticism and then see what you learn. That's a, whole, that's a good attitude. All right? Okay. Now, the Buddha is saying, suppose, what does he say? The offense of greed can cause you to lose your human body if you're really, really, really greedy. It's tan yu, tan yu. Tan is greed, yu is desire. The two together, you can just say desire. And you get pretty much the same idea. Are desire and greed different? Yes, they are. But for the purposes of our text, it's the same experience in the mind. It's the mind saying, more, more, more. That's, that's the experience. Is that greed or desire? Well, that's a subtle difference. For our purposes, it's the same thing. When the mind goes, more, that can afflict you. It can trouble your mind so much that you create offenses that knock you out of the human realm. In a future life, you come back, you're not a person, you're not a human, you're another realm. Living in the hells, living as a ghost, living as an animal, living as an Ashura, a fighter. Okay. If that happens, but you also have some blessings, you've also got a lot of good bank account, goodness in your bank account of life. You're also a wholesome person in some ways, but you have this greedy problem. You come back as a human, but there is a quality of life issue. There's a problem. Your life is troubled by something coming from that habit of greed. The greedy habit. More, more, more. What is it? Buddha says, here's what happens. You've got a human body, but what's your life like? What's going on in your life? It says, Qin Bu That's the first one. There's two of them, but we'll look at that one first. Qin Bu Your mind is never content. It says, mind not no sufficiency. Okay. If your mind, if my mind never knows sufficiency, it means that basically I'll never be happy. 
A situation that should make me happy doesn't. Shin Bujuzu means you're never going to be happy where you are. It's never going to be enough for you. How miserable. How miserable. Right? Um, And I guess I don't have to say, maybe I should, that by saying this, the Buddha is not saying, I'm going to make it so your mind is never content. He's saying, you will have created a state of mind where nothing is ever going to satisfy you, ever. Why? Because that's the result of what you have done. Nothing to do with me at all, says the Buddha. Okay? So, what is this? This is number one recipe for bummer. You will be the most miserable person. I really hope, if this is you, that your spouse, your husband or your wife, is going to have a Teflon heart. And it's going to have Vajra resolve because why you're going to be a very unhappy person to live with no gift will ever please you no experience will ever be full enough no holiday no nice words that your spouse says to you will ever touch you why? Because, oh, I'm not content. That's not it. There's got to be more. Right? Your heart never rests in the present moment. What a miserable state of mind this is. You know? And the Buddha is saying, yeah, I totally agree, says the Buddha. This is called misery. What a recipe for misery. You're never content. It's never the right one. You got a blue one, you don't want it. You want a red one. You get the red one, you don't want it. You prefer pink. You got pink, orange is better. It's like you're never there. No matter where you are, it's not right. Boy, what a miserable state that is, right? Now, contrast it. What's it like? They say um, there's a famous book in Chinese called Chinese culture called Cai Gun Tan a discussion on vegetable roots, root vegetables. Tai gun, meaning like the leftover part of vegetables. If you are the opposite, right? We've been turning these around, turning around the, the Buddha's descriptions. Suppose, it says, tanyu jizui, the offense of greed. Suppose the habit of contentment, not tanyu, but jizu, if you are habitually contented, then you get two retributions. The first one would be xin bu zhizu. It would be xin chang zhizu. Your mind is always contented, no matter what. You know the, the song, I got plenty of nothing, and nothing's plenty for me. That's from Porgy and Bess, George Gershwin, right? Who's Porgy? He's the hero. He sings a song. Porgy is a black dock worker who has lost 
his legs. Right? And he has a little cart that he pulls himself around on. Now, as a result, his upper body is really strong, but he's cut in half. And guess what? He's happy. He's never upset. He doesn't feel that he's deficient in any way. I got plenty of nothing, and nothing's plenty for me. Having nothing is just enough. That's all I need. Who's worrying, he said. He's got a song. He's got a woman who loves him. He's got the stars at night, and they're free. Right? Go outside, you go, oh, that's the most incredible light show in the world. Look, oh, there goes shooting star. It's a gift. You know. That's a state of mind where taigun, if you eat leftover carrots, carrots that didn't make it into the stew, you steam them up, they taste really, really, really good, fill your stomach, and you don't die. You know, that's the different mind. If you are xin bu what's it like? You go to a Michelin three-star restaurant, Michelin Guide, right? Rated the finest restaurant. There, what? How many three-star restaurants are there in California? Three or four or something like that? French Laundry up in Yountville. You go up to the French Laundry, Northern California's best restaurant, and you turn up your nose at everything. Oh, I didn't like it. It was cold. No, I didn't like it. I thought it was too sour. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. The sound of your heart is, yeah, that sound, you know, because you are, nothing pleases you, never satisfied, never contented. Oh, man, you are a pain in the butt to be with. <laughs> Do not take this person out on a date, right? You will never make them happy, ever. Because why? What happens? It's because a result of the habit of greed. Oh, how sad. And to be in the skin, if that's you, if that's me, who's being talked about, imagine, you're never where you want to be. Right? People ask, what is, what do you want the most? What do you really want in life? Many people would answer, I want to belong. Or I want to find out where I belong. I want to find my home. I want to find out where I belong. That's a real sense. You know, where do I belong? And if you are Shin Bujirzu, the answer is nowhere. You will wander forever in this body. <clears throat> North, south, east, west, none of it's any good. It's all no good. Wow, what a pain, right? So this is the Buddha's description of the retribution of constantly being greedy. And that's only one. There's another one coming up. Can you stand it? Have you had enough? Ready for a song? Sing something happy now? What a grim, sad, grief-filled, constant pain to be never satisfied. Okay, Arja. Two, they'll have much desire which will never be satisfied. 
All right. The, um, <clears throat> I remember when uh, Marty and I first ran into this one. I talked a long time last week about the, the uh, frivolous speech, right, of uh, loose speech, and how when I was on a, a pilgrimage and ran into that for the first time, it was a turning point in my life because I identified that that had been something that plagued me a lot. Oh, it was like looking in a mirror and seeing my true, true face. All right. When we got to this one, greed and desire, I remember the first time we read it, it was like, well, what's the difference between xin bu zhizu and duo yu wu yan? They sounded a lot alike, even in English. Mind, your mind is never contented. Two, you've got a lot of desire, never satisfied. What's the difference between satisfaction and contentment? Okay. There is, and I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And here's what I think, why the Buddha specified these two. The first is, Shin Bujurzu, means what comes to you is not enough. What comes to you, things come to you. You get a situation, you get what you're looking for, it's not what you wanted. It's like you have a standard that was not met. It's not, it doesn't satisfy me, my standards. It's not right. This is not right. I want another one. This is not right. I want another one. This is not right. I want another one. This is not right. I want endlessly. Okay? So once you get something, what's the other one? This one is before. Anything comes to you, you have an appetite. And the appetite consumes. It's like the first one is what I got doesn't fit my description. I got an idea of what I want, and this isn't it. Or I thought I wanted it, but now I know it's like an itch. Okay, this one's not quite right. It's not, you doesn't suit me. The second one, desire is like fire. Think of a flame. When desire is burning in your heart, then what's it like? It's like something's on fire. You've got your, your appetite is so strong that it's not that this one isn't right. Nothing will ever satisfy you. You've got to have more. More, 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 because the fire is burning so hot. doesn't matter what it is. I'm consuming it. It pushes you out. Okay, <clears throat> the second one, I have seen this in action. Um, also, by the way, I need to get the other word. Wu Yen. Wu Yen. Shifu uh, used to say tan ar wu yen constantly, but greedy without satiation. Wu yen means that it's like a bottomless pit. Wu yen, never filled. The first one is, I got it, but it's not right. The second one is, I got it and it's not enough. I want more. It's fine, I like it, give me two. It's fine, I like it, give me 12. Right? And you become just this burning fire of desire. I've seen this in action. 
Um, anybody ever fly southwest and have to change in Las Vegas? You know? If you go anywhere, if you're flying like L.A. to, or even San Francisco to Texas or the south, you have to change planes often. And sometimes they'll route you through Las Vegas. Okay, when you get off the plane in Las Vegas, holy mackerel, you come through, you go down the aisle of the plane, you go down the, the gangway, right, the thing they wheel up to the plane, you go through a glass sound door, and you come into a room. And on the plane, it was the sound of the engines, the sound of the people, the steps. You step into that room, and the noise is suddenly ding, 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 jackpot! Ding, 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 come, yell everyone a lucky winner! Hey, look, it's new, it's different, it's educational, it's entertaining, don't be late, but you will have to hurry. Hey, look, ding, 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 jackpot! You know? And suddenly you go, I want to go back on the airplane. Thank you very much. Can I go the other? And they don't. The door shuts behind you, and they have to clean the plane. You're stuck in a casino. You're suddenly in Las Vegas. One step into the airport, you're in Las Vegas. And you have all the slot machines in front of you. You know, and here's, They don't actually have gaming tables. There's no blackjack or kino or roulette. But they have slots. And electronic slots and mechanical slots and you all four sides you walk all four sides you're in a casino it is the Las Vegas airport you are in a casino okay and there are people who choose to gamble there instead of Harris Club or instead of you know the Sands or instead of Luxor they go to the airport casino and they gamble there here's what I saw I'm giving you this whole rundown because why? So you won't think that monks hang out in Las Vegas at the casino. Dharma Master, what were you doing in that casino? I was changing planes, man. That's all I was doing. I was trying to get out of there as soon as I could. And, and I think there was a sandstorm and the computers were down. I was stuck in Las Vegas. So, okay. So, what did you see? What you can see in the casino is much desire Never satisfied, never filled. The old ladies. Didn't see many old men doing this. I saw old ladies doing what? First of all, on their right hand, they're wearing a glove. And in their left hand, they're carrying a coffee can. If you know how percolator coffee comes in one of those round cans, Uban or Hills Brothers, right? It's a can about this big. And in the can... Or what? Quarters. Quarters. Right? This is cash. It's not tokens. It's cash. So what do they do, these ladies? And you have to see their expression because their eyes are like that. The light is gone. Did you see it? Did you see the light was gone? Their, light, their eyes are gone. It's as if they pulled the shades. There's no light here. And what do they do? They go down, put a quarter in, pull the lever, move to the next one, put a quarter in, pull the lever, move to the next one, put a quarter in, pull the lever, move to the next one. Down the rows of slots, mechanically doing this, right? Down the row, 
the third machine down hits a jackpot. The quarters come spewing out. She doesn't know. She's just trying her luck. Did she win? She doesn't care. She's got to win. Lady, you won. Huh. Goes and picks up the quarters, right? Puts them in, goes and pulls the handle. Doesn't even, it's like, you know, hello. You know, she's gone. Why? In her gambling desire, she has done this so much that the desire to gamble has overcome the desire to win, right? It's just the luck, luck. I'll strike it rich, I'll strike it rich, luck. Lucky jackpot, strike it. You hit the jackpot, never, don't bother me, I'm striking it rich. You know, it's like, oh, okay, as she goes and picks the quarters up. Four or five ladies per row of slots, just doing that, you know. I don't know whether the men are doing something else, but I pick, particularly picked up on these sad women infected by the virus of luck and the desire of luck. So strong, burning in them to the point where they're burned out. Their circuits are not geared for winning, only for gambling. Okay, that's burning. They don't, they don't know that they won. Ugh. Okay. That's Las Vegas. Wonderful place to change planes. May you never have to change planes in Las Vegas, right? Route yourself to Phoenix instead, okay? If you have a choice, go to Phoenix. Different. Or Denver. Don't go to Las Vegas. Unless maybe you like to gamble. You, too, could strike it rich. Everyone a lucky winner. Hey, look. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So, that's doyen, wuyu. Doyu, wuyen. Different than shin bujutsu. Okay, subtly different. The first one is, whatever you get is like not quite right. In any situation, you're not, you know, it's like you can't be happy. Shin bujutsu means what? You can never be happy. Flip it over. Somebody who is the opposite of that is like no matter what, they're happy. The happiness is not tied to the stuff outside. Whether they're eating vegetable roots, what could be more coarse than turnips, right? Steamed, boiled turnips. Big, clunky root. You've got to peel it and slice it and toss it in the water and pull it out of the ground. There's nothing fancy about steamed, boiled turnips. But if you eat them with a contented heart, they are delicious. And they use thrive on turnips. Okay, there are monks. That's a famous, the famous story. You all know about Guangqin Lao Hoshang, right? Shui Guo Hoshang, the fruit monk in Taiwan, Master Guangqin. He was this little tiny guy. Guangqin Lao Hoshang was like barely five feet tall. And <clears throat> when he went to become a monk in Taiwan, I didn't get all the details, but his Dharma brothers didn't like him, didn't accept him. And so they beat him and scolded him and pushed him out of the monastery to the point where he lived in the, you know, lived in the, in the sheds. That wasn't enough. They pushed him out. He had to go live in the forest. No food out there. 
if you figure that white rice and mantou and lohan zai is, is the only food. He didn't have nice, fancy monastery food. What did he have? Di gua ye. He had the leaves of the di gua, which is kind of sweet potatoes, Taiwanese sweet potatoes, and fruit. So Master Guangqin took the fruit off the trees, took the di gua out of the ground, which are, by the way, very nutritious and very delicious, and he ate that. And guess what? Survived, got enlightened. And the rest of his life, he was contented with simple, simple food. And it was precisely because they pushed him out that he got enlightened. He woke up. If he had been in the monastery eating delicious gourmet, lohan jai, and every day, you know, probably it would have taken him longer. So... He could have gone out in the woods and gone, this is horrible, I can't stand it, I'm going to go back and drive a cab in Taipei. Enough of this cultivation nonsense. Too bitter. He didn't. He was content with little and made the most of it, by golly. Got enlightened. Shifu said that he was an arhat and that he protected Taiwan, said Master Shifu. So, okay, so that's the flip it over, the offensive greed. What if it's the habit of generosity? What is the opposite of greed? Greed says, I want more. If you say, I have enough, I want to give instead. You've turned it over. You've flipped it around. That's the magic of this dharma in the sutra. Okay, so the first one was, shin bujirzu. Your mind is never content. If you flip it over, no matter what, you're content. How do they go? How does it go? I, I pitied myself that I had no car until I saw someone who had no feet. Right? You can always find somebody in a worse situation. Suppose you say, boy, my car is now like 12 years old and 200,000 miles. You go, yeah, but guess what? It sure gets you there. You may not arrive in style, but it gets you there. Okay, that's flipping it over. I have enough. I'm content with what I have, no matter what I have. If I have a million dollars, there are many, 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 many rich people whose minds are not satisfied. I need more. Five million is not enough. I need more. The oil under my feet is not enough. Actually, the oil under your feet is mine. And I'll go make sure I get it. Okay, so let's flip the second one over. Okay. The second one is much desire, never satisfied. Suppose you give... The, the habit of giving instead of the offensive greed. The habit of giving means your desire is much reduced and it takes little to satisfy you. What an amazing state that is where you feel content in your skin. 
Boy, this is so fundamental to so many cultures and stories. You know, the, um, I remember going to uh, Malaysia in 1978, and we had a chance to go out. We drove a lot in cars with Master Shenhua from the south to the center, to the east, to the north, to the coast, the west coast. And <clears throat> we, we traveled, we were heading out to Tringanu, Dingjalo, which is on the far east coast of Malaysia. And we stopped in little tiny villages where our hosts had uh, relatives. And Malaysia, they really do build the houses on stick, on, on uh, stilts, because the water goes up and down. There are all kinds of little creepy crawlies that would love to climb into bed with you if your house was down below. So you raise the house up, and they, they have to stay down below. And uh, so these are houses on sticks, houses on stilts. You've seen them in Malaysia, Thailand, maybe Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. Um, the folks, we, we had a chance to listen to some of them talk. And I was silent at the time, but I got to listen. And so these old people, mostly old people in the villages, were very interested to see Master Shrinhua show up because he had a reputation. He is the monk who went to America, right? Lü Mei Gaosang. And they would talk and say, you know, oh, you're taking Buddhism to the West now. We need Buddhism here in the East, they would say. Why is that? Because we can't keep our young people. Look around. Where are all the 20 and 30-year-olds? They all went to Kuala Lumpur. They all went to Penang. They all went to Singapore. Why? With one mouth, they all said, because of the television. Because of the damn television, they would say, politely. What do you mean? Well, before the television came, they were very happy to stay here in the village. That's where they met a good wife. That's where they, would, they knew the language. That's where they could grow their crops and make their crafts and do their business. But once the TV came in, they saw what life was like in the big city and what they had here at home didn't look so good anymore. It's the TV that spoiled our kids, they said. We're going, hmm, heard that one before. It's the curse of modernity. So how does the phrase go? How are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen KL, right? How are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris, right? Somebody in a little farming village in Dordogne in France gets the TV and realizes in Paris you can live. And now they go to sleep and it's like, Stars, crickets, rainy, rainy, rainy. Not enough. They want 
Maurice Chevalier, you know. So they don't stay home. They, once they see what it's like in a big city, whew, bye-bye village. So these old people were lonely and afraid. They were really afraid that their culture was going to vanish. Because once you get to KL, what do you know in KL? In KL, you meet the very same thing that's going on in Tokyo, in Hong Kong, in New York, in New Delhi, in Sydney, in L.A., TV culture, right? It's all Calvin Klein underwear and Michael Jordan basketball, dunking. Who in KL has ever seen Michael Jordan, you know, much less dunk a basketball? But once you get there, whoa, I want that. And I want the Coca-Cola that sponsors his program. And I want Britney Spears, never mind. what Britney Spears is all, I want it, whatever it is, because it's, right? So how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Oakland, San Francisco, Detroit? We want it. It's like a disease, right? Greed is like a disease. It gets in the heart, and it makes you sick with desire, pursuing what looks so glittery and fine and fancy. And then you get there, and oh. One of my favorite songs growing up was called On Broadway. They say the lights are something else on Broadway. They say there's always magic in the air, right? But how you gonna make a time? How you gonna make some time when all you got is one thin dime? And one thin dime won't take you far on Broadway, right? You don't realize that all those lights, somebody's paying for them. And when you get to Kuala Lumpur, when you get to Saigon, when you get to Beijing, Shanghai, that suddenly you're an economic slave. You are not free. You don't get those lights. You get a tiny room in a concrete backyard and people who are ugly and don't speak your language and don't care about you and don't know your grandma or your story. And it's not what you bought. And what you bought isn't what you wanted. But boy, does it glitter on that screen. Really glittery. So it's like a disease. That greed is like a virus. And it gets in there and it makes us what? The Buddha, by giving us this, is giving us this recipe for curing our mental illness of greed and desire. But man, oh man, what, I, what I'm saying tonight is so unpopular, right? You go home tonight and thinking, mm, I'm going to be content with less. Oh boy, watch TV, go online, the blinking ads on websites. Okay, I was checking out... Uh, web design software today and <clears throat> just because we're, we're trying to revamp berkeleymonastery.org and we have some choices and we're checking out the various things and one of the 
things that come with the free blogging, free website software is you can install ads. And it's a feature. So that you can have, and it's not necessarily that you're going to get reap money for them, and the company was clear that they're not getting money for it. But you can have ads flashing on your private website that are telling people to buy something, right, as a feature. Yeah, I'd like that. Sure, why not? And somebody else gets, you know, I'll leave some space because it's hip. It's with it. It's like, okay, what is it about advertising? Advertising is designed to tell you that what you have is not enough. The purpose of advertising is to push you away from contentment. So you feel like this old thing, perfectly good robe, this old thing. I could have that one. Look at that, you know. And that's if advertising pushes you off center and puts that virus of desire in your heart, Changong, successful ad. That's its only purpose, is to tell you that what you have is not enough. Yours is old. Yours is the downgrade. You need the upgrade. You need 6.2. You only have 6.0. You know. Okay. How interesting. I saw an incredible documentary. Ah, what an amazing documentary. Put out by the BBC, available online for free, called The Century of the Self. The Century of the Self. Definitely recommend it. It's in four parts, and you only need the first one or two to get the whole thing. But check it out. It's, um, I think it's on Google Videos. It's not, it's not Hulu, it's not uh, YouTube. It's, I think it's uh, Google. Google has videos, too. But try, I think it's Google videos. And it's called The Century of the Self. It's a four-part documentary about how, in the 20th century, the, one of the, the biggest changes in humanity in the 20th century was psychology. And it points directly to Sigmund Freud, right? F-R-E-U-D, Sigmund Freud, the father of psychotherapy who personally wasn't very successful in getting his theories adapted. It was his nephew, a man named Edmund Bernays, B-E-R-N-A-Y-S, who took, he was related to Freud, he took Freud's theories about the mind and the self and applied it to advertising and changed the world, changed the way we see things. And here's, I want to just pick one piece out of this incredible documentary. Anybody who's got, each one is an hour long. It's incredibly rich and good. Bernays was, he was in America. They're both uh, Viennese Jews. Came to America. And he was very clever. And he took his uncle's theories and went to industry and said, there's something wrong in America when people buy stuff that they like, especially if it's well-made. Why? You've got one. You're not going to buy another one until that one's 
used up, right? Right. You want to sell some more? Tell them that they need a different one and make the first one not so well. So it wears out. Pointing this out was like, when I saw this, it went click, 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 click. For example, before Bernays, and this was in the 20s and 30s, before Bernays started his theory of advertising and started doing advertising, what was advertising like before industrialization came? You go to the store, and what did the store say? It said, shoes. Need some shoes? There's the place. Go in. Uh-huh. How many kinds you got? One. I'll take some. <laughs> Give me a pair. All right. You pay the money, and you pay, take a pair of shoes. How long are you going to wear those shoes? Probably until they go through the sole. Then what do you do? Take them to the shoe repairman and repair the sole and wear them some more. Then when your feet grow, what happens? You pass them to your son, or who's now growing up and can wear them. He passes them on to his brother. Shoes last and last and last and last because you keep repairing them, right? Okay, Bernays comes along and says, Mmm, we have shoes worn by... Maestro Spiegelman from Broadway. And Spiegelman comes out, his flashing feet. Oh, I would like a pair of those. We have them in three different models. Oh, did you have? You have the old model. You need some new. So now instead of shoes, it's Spiegelman's famous shoes. Right? And everybody goes, oh, I need a pair of those. And like shoes, everything else gets put into this mode of Buy the new ones so you can be whatever they tell you you're supposed to be. Advertising. And suddenly, instead of making one kind of shoes that when you sell them to everybody, you're done, you make a hundred kind of shoes and you sell constantly to the same people who need to buy another pair of shoes, another pair of shoes, another pair of shoes. Ah. Suddenly, we're making business, making money. Greed and desire kick in. I need that. Okay. Profound change in people's thinking suddenly. And then in a closet, you've got 12 pairs of shoes. Okay. Big change. All right. So touching on greed is something that happened in our lifetimes. Before that, it was not. You bought a shovel. I got a shovel. I don't need a bunch of shovels. Now we have an ergonomic shovel with the right kind of bend so that you don't twist your back, and we got the ones made of plastic and the ones made They're all made in China. Okay, so very, very powerful statement. The question is, if you get more, are you happier? Big question. And boy, if you ask that question, you are what? Un-American. You can't ask that question. You're supposed to buy more stuff. Buy it now and pay it later on credit. Get it now. Satisfy that desire. Right? So the challenging question is, which is a really dangerous question, how much do I need? How much do I really need? Do I need another one? If you ask that question, boy, 
there's a chance you're not going to go out and buy something. Maybe, because the answer could be, no, I don't need it. I got one. I have all I need. Dangerous question. Boy, oh boy. So I'm sure some of you are thinking of your closets, right? Oh, how many dresses do I have that I never really tried on since I brought home from the store? But I went shopping, you know. Shopping is good. Tools. Oh, boy. Tool chest. Whoa, dig it up. That's really a really nice bandsaw. Mm. You know what I could make with that bandsaw? Mm. You know. So you clear out room in the basement, put the bandsaw in, and you turn it on, turn it on once a year. Still works. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, greed, by golly. It's how much is need, how much is greed? That's the question. And the Buddha is what? He's not laughing at us. The Buddha is very, very sensitive because why? He is saying, right, do you know how miserable you are when you are never satisfied? That means basically you're never going to be happy. Flip it over. If you can catch that illness in the mind, everything you got hits the spot. It's exactly what I wanted. I have everything I need. This is exactly the one I was waiting for. Finally, at last, I got the one I wanted. Isn't that amazing? Not only do we do it with stuff, we do it with relationships. How many people get married thinking, I'll try it for a while? You know, if this model doesn't satisfy, I'll recycle it. Try later. Maybe the next one is the, the right one. This is the right one for me. You read the gossip columns, you know, celebrity marriages, 18 months later, no, incompatible. Mm. Remarriages, I'll try another one. Maybe this is finally at last the one I've, you know. And with a flip of the mind, it's, I have exactly what I need. Or better, this relationship is the perfect opportunity for me to make someone very happy. That person sitting across from me is the Buddha in my house. They don't know it yet, but I'm working on it. I'm going to turn them into a Buddha because I'm going to treat them like a Buddha. How come I need another one? The Buddha nature in that one is not full and complete? I'm sorry, your Buddha nature is deficient. Go to the end of the line. Next. Not. There's no theory there, no principle. So amazing to be able to say, yeah, this person is, you know, if I can make them a Buddha quicker, how wonderful. Every meal, every word I say to that person is an opportunity to help them get closer to their nature, and in the process, I get huge blessings, contentment, satisfaction, joy, and I get to live with a potential future Buddha. Whoa, how nice. Hard to beat that, you know. Nah, we were incompatible. She didn't satisfy my projection of ideal trophy person 
goddess whatever, you know, that we project onto people. Okay, <clears throat> easy to say, really hard to do when you get down into the trenches. So, powerful stuff, really, really powerful. Um, I saw it personified in uh, a place uh, near called Pescadero, Pescadero Point. It's on Highway 1 near north of Santa Cruz. There's the lighthouse there. One frosty morning in February, just very much like the weather today, uh, bowing along the highway, and Marty and I had actually pulled into the parking lot of the Pescadero Point Lighthouse. And we had a little bit of uh, dried bread. Somebody had made an offering of a big thing of French bread, and we hadn't finished it, and it got, got stale, got hard. So before we bowed, we went out to uh, feed the birds and reciting the Great Compassion Mantra and crunching up the bread and chucking it out. And it was amazing to watch greed spoil the bird's experience. (laughs) So these little birds come first, the sparrows and the the wrens and the... the, the, uh, Junkos and the chickadees, little little birds, and we would see these little birds. We had we were crumbling it up into you know French bread, big pieces, and pieces were too big. And so the little birds would come down, and they would jump at a piece and peck at it, and then it would be too big, and they would jump back and then jump and peck at it, and come back. And there was enough bread that they would they would kind of sp- spread it out. You know, everybody would go for a different piece. Here come the seagulls. Oh man. Seagulls are asuras in the bird in the bird's world. They are bad tempered and, and mean, big curving beaks. They're large. Seagulls are big, big wingspan. <coughs> the seagulls come swooping down and <coughs> take a piece of bread and go and then like that. And and then they go and then they're they're just fell up on the bread and they they can't swallow it it's just too much but they gobble it all right and then the second seagull checks it out and comes down to duke it out with the first seagull and the two of them are fighting over the last piece of bread and they completely forget about the bread and they just start fighting over it and one's trying to pick it up and the little birds scurry in and grab the bread, run away with it, you know. The seagulls forget the bread and just turn to each other, I got service for this, service for my bread, like that. And they're both full of bread that they can't swallow and they can't spit out, you know. And we're going, that's greed. <laughs> that's it. And then not only greed, anger, delusion, right? Because they're fighting over who gets that last piece, they lose it all. <laughs> little birds come in and grab it and run right under their legs. Like that, because the gulls are fighting. They they figured it all out. They know the nature of the seagulls. Wait till they fight, and then we'll grab the bread. Yeah, okay. So very funny to watch greed lose it all. All right. 
And uh, Marty told me another lovely illustration of greed. This has to do with Brother Bear. Is it a true story? Yeah. I'm not proud of it, but it's true. Really? What's the problem? Well, mostly greed. But you can't blame us. That corn is so good. What happened? Well, uh, you want to tell it? Uh, sure. That's too embarrassing. Okay, I'll tell it. Okay. So, uh, the story goes, Marty grew up on a, on a farm in Wisconsin. And... Uh, Kind of dusty. Yeah. You ought to clean me more often. Okay. There you go. Um, in the corn, in, in uh, the farm in Wisconsin, they have bears. And uh, the bears wait until the corn is just about ripe. We can smell it. Yeah. We wait. And then what happens when it's ripe? Well, we go eat. Right. So what do they do? The bears start at one end of the corn row, and they take their front paws, and they grab an ear of corn and put it under their armpit. They do. Yeah, that's what bears do. And then, what do they do? They reach out to grab another ear of corn and put it under their armpit. What happens? Well, of course, the first ear of corn falls to the ground. Right. And so, then what happens? Same thing. Right? Reach out, grab another ear of corn, that one drops, pinch it, then go down to the next ear of corn, reach out, grab it, and they might put one in their mouth, too. Yeah. Tastes good. They get to the end of the row, and how many ears of corn do they have? One. And then we swallow it and start over. Tastes really good. So the bear goes through the whole ear of corn, the whole row of corn, leaving it all behind him on the ground. And in the end, when they get to the end, it's like, no more corn. Yeah, they got to turn around and start over. They got one in their mouth, they swallow it, they start over. They really do that. Um, you mind my saying? It's not so much greed, it's more like stupidity. That's just being a bear, you know. Uh, I'm taking a course in junior college. Uh, I hope maybe I'll uh, learn accounting. Maybe if I learn accounting, I'll be better at my math, you know. Either that or I'll grow a new armpit. And we can have two. Yeah, that's good. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Bear. Good job. True story. The bears drop. Grab one, drop it. Grab one, drop it. Down to the end. One of them. That's it. <laughs> Greed, right? Right. You can't hold anymore. So, oh boy. But making that turn from greed to enough is really, really hard. Um, I have another. I have another Aesop's fable. Famous story that involves. 
a frog. Rabbit. And a lion. There he is. Everybody's favorite. There he is. Yeah, yeah. Hi, everybody. Were you waiting for me? We used to be friends, right? You all remember me? I'm sure they do. Right? My name's Yeah, yeah. There you go. There. Well, grooming there. Yeah. That's good. Remember, I'm the MGM lion, only retired now? Every time you saw that film, remember me? Yep. They couldn't forget you. Right. I know. So, what's the story? Um, should I tell it, or do you want to narrate it? Well, mm, it's not very complimentary to the frog. I know, but that's okay. Uh, maybe, because uh, he can't tell it, rabbit. But he can, uh, let's see. Mm, how about if I tell it and you guys act it out? Rabbit. Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay, uh, I don't get many lines in the story, but uh, it's not the lion's share, but uh, I think I look very distinguished in any case. I, I agree. Okay, here we go. Now, uh, one day, there was a frog who was very proud. Frog was very proud. He, liked, he thought he was the biggest frog, and he lived in a well. Of course, in the well, there was no bigger frog than he was. Even the sky was really small. So, uh, rabbit. So one day, the frog jumped out of the well, and he was very used to being the biggest. And so he came out in the world, and guess what he saw? God, it's a lion. He saw me. Yep. Uh, you're pathetic. You're green, too. Kind of a shrimp, green shrimp. Uh, and the frog couldn't stand being called a green shrimp. And so he said, I'm the rabbit biggest in the world. You're the biggest in the world? Yep. Pathetic. Prove it. And so what did the frog do? The frog decided that he was going to be as big as a lion because he was the biggest in the world. And so he started to puff himself up. <laughs> He got bigger and bigger. Better watch out. You're going to burst. And bigger. I'm the biggest in the world. And sure enough, he went, ah! I told him, boy, these frogs in Berkeley are pretty stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you call that? I call that greed. Yeah. Uh, G-R-E-E-D. Are you greedy for anything yet yet? No, I got it all already. I just need a little bit of work, you know. Maybe uh, MGM would like a, a retired lion to be in the new logo. Or better yet, I could go online. We could call it online, right? You have yeah, yeah, online, right? Dot org, dot net. Okay, so... Uh, if you see me, uh, Metro Golden Mare, you know, seeing those MGM films, wave to me. And uh, every time you watch my movies, I get residuals. I get royalties. Okay. Good night. Don't be greedy. Thank you very much. Good job. I didn't have enough lines, Ribbit. That's all right. You'll learn. Just don't, don't puff yourself up so much. You can put your palms together, put your paws together, be a better Buddhist. There you go. Didn't know that frogs could meditate, did you? Okay, good stuff. Thank you, guys. Well done. Okay, 
So that is the story about greed and desire. And I have a really good song about that coming up. But first, we need to dedicate merit. If you don't mind, we will send out the goodness to people worldwide who are struggling for an opportunity to control their lives. Uh, dedicating merit you do it the way you choose however far your mind can go that's how far the merit goes This world of pain 